Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And every week we seek to learn a little bit of something about absolutely anything. All with the help from experts and rather a lot of gin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Finally we get to talk to this guest. We've been waiting a while. We have been waiting a while because we're talking to Dr. Emma Wynow, who was going to come on the podcast last series. And one thing and the other, she couldn't make it. Didn't work out. Yeah. But the good thing is we got her this series instead. That's nice. So that's pretty good. That's good. So Dr. Emma Wynow is a lecturer at Cardiff Hey, University. that's basically Bristol. It's not because it's <laughs> Wales, but it's close enough. And I really like Cardiff, so... Cardiff is pretty cool. Cardiff's cool. Home of Doctor Who and uh, uh-huh. once upon a time, obviously home of Torchwood and also uh-huh. home of um, Casualty. I've never really watched Casualty. I did when I had an interview for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. you did. Yeah. Big up the Cardiff. Haven't been to Cardiff for a very long time. Um, I took a mega bus to Cardiff. Oh, did you? Yeah. Someone was sick on me on the way back. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Beautiful. At least it was on the way back. Yeah. Not on the way there. Yeah, it's true. Um, She is a freelance science communicator and she works in the area of behavioural neuroscience. Oh, Jesus. Okay. You're going to love our topic. Grey's Anatomy is all that's coming to mind to carry on. Our topic is... Brain breakdown. <laughs> mm. How many times a week? Um, I'm doing okay at the minute, actually. Pretty good yeah. now. The masters is done. You see? Yeah, yeah. It was. It Fewer was... brain breakdowns. To... Last series that was quite brain that breakdowny. Quite, yeah. Ben's got some clips somewhere that we'll never hear the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> never. Mm, yes. <laughs> Will they, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> please, Ben. Please. <laughs> we always worry about what. Ben actually has on us. Yeah. <laughs> One day the internet will be flooded with me crying. No, 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 that would be a flood. We're not talking about that kind of brain breakdown. Oh, okay. We're not talking stressy brain breakdown. We are talking about why are people worried about brain disease? Probably because it's a bad thing. A proper brain breakdown. Isn't that an obvious thing to be worried about? D- yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, but I and I think it's sort of why we're worried about it and what we can do about it. And as I'm a little older than you, oh, shit, are you? Yeah, just little. Okay, I think my brain's probably breaking down quite. Well, I don't probably know. Rapidly. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a strong case to be made for my brain being not the healthiest. Yeah. Pickling it with gin probably isn't a good thing. So anyway, we will talk brain breakdown. We're going to talk with Emma, and we are going to be drinking a Welsh gin. Got a lot of time for the Welsh, me. I hope she's got a Welsh accent. I'll fall in love with her, though. Tell us about the gin. Why are we drinking a Brecon Botanicals? 
Okay, so Brecon Gin. So Brecon, the Brecon Beacons in Wales. Um, actually, where I'm getting married. Oh, congratulations. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I don't really like loads of gin, but this gin I really, really like. Um, and we actually got it as an engagement present from a friend. So that is why um, we're having some Brecon Gin. Because, you know, Welsh gin. Nice. Brilliant. Well, I will hurry up pouring my tonic. I'm going to drink some you can because mine's them. ready. So we can cheers. also cheers. drink and cheers and congratulations. Thank you. Cheers, yaki as we say in Wales. Oh, sloincher. There you go. I can add some Irish. Oh, that's nice. What have you got? Is nice. Go on. What's your cheers? Um, cheers. Oh, cheers. boring. Cheers. That is nice. That's that's very smooth. It's it's drinkable. That is really lemony and yum. Zesty, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Really zesty. Really nice. That's good. That'll go down very easily. Probably too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Brecon gin. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Um, So we're talking brain breakdown. Mm. And always joked about the fact that Anya has quite a few every week. But not so many at the moment now that the... Look, May is finished. I'm a very sensitive person who doesn't deal with her emotions. Well, I don't know what anyone expected. <laughs> and the fact that I've got grey hair and my brain is breaking down at a rapid rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we can joke about those things. But not the right kind. Different kind today. Different kind today. Yeah. Um. So we're going to find out much more from you about... Ac- proper brain breakdowns rather than just us taking the piss out of each other. <laughs> Yeah, sounds cool, right? Is that what we do now, isn't it? When we talk about kind of quite difficult subjects, I think we just, we always joke about it. That's our way sometimes of dealing with it. And that's fine. I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, that's definitely our way. Yeah, we're never really serious about things. No, as you find out from this podcast. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, And to start us off, as always, we are going to talk about what we think we know about the subject Mm -hmm. and what we think the answers to the questions are from the knowledge that we already have. (laughs) It won't take long, don't worry. (laughs) And then you can see where we're at and... What you can fill us you in see and where just we can how start. low the bar is. <laughs> As always. Uh, okay. So, brain breakdown. Yep. What do we know? Um, I know what brain is, which is a good start. At least I yeah. kind of know what brain is. So, you know, I can go in depth. And the image we were talking about pickled walnuts earlier. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and walnut looking. But actually, the other image that comes to mind is, do you remember your youngest sibling had a book... Um, was it Wow in Encyclopedia or something like that? Yes, yes, yes. And it had a page which was all about the different areas of the brain. Yeah. And she'd always then point at the blue one and go, that's the bit you've got a problem with, Mum. Memory. (laughs) No, words and getting words mixed up. Oh, got you. (laughs) But I can't remember what the part of the brain was. No, dear. Uh, Most of my knowledge of the brain comes from watching Grey's Anatomy, if I'm honest. So... Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's a good basis. Oh. I like it. Yeah, good, good. Thank you. Yeah. So, what, yeah. what did Grace teach you? Um, mainly that doctors shagging on cool rooms, but about the brain. <laughs> about the brain. <laughs> um, there are bits you can touch and bits you can't. Uh huh. And aneurysms. Mm-hmm. And um, and ten blades, and 
um, what, what? craniotomies. I don't You're know. You're just throwing some words. words then, yeah, exactly. That's what yeah, they taught me. And, and yeah. if you put them all in a script, they're, that's, then, that's then fine. It was, and neuro, neurology? Yeah. Neurology, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. I know that. Yeah. Um, nice. got and some... it's a beautiful day to save lives. That's what it taught me, Sarah. Oh, thank you very you much. It always <laughs> is. Um, what other things? I've got that there was a brilliant psychological study of a guy on a railroad who had got impaled in his oh, brain. Oh, yeah. Um, and he lost the ability to um, make emotional... Um, oh. sort of connections and therefore couldn't make decisions and things what about <laughs> breakdown of brains um honestly not much i sort of old age is a thing there maybe yeah, you see i feel like up talk a lot into about the bedroom how... and going why am i here yeah i feel Perfect. like you talk a lot about yeah. how Old age affects brain. How pregnancy affects brains? Because oh you God. talk endlessly about pregnancy menopause. brains. Yeah, mm-hmm. bloody nightmare for the brain. But I don't actually know much about what goes on in the brain in those no. circumstances and what we actually mean by the brain. I'm, I mean, I'm, I imagine it stops working. Yeah, I mean that's I've... which I can understand then why people are worried about it because if your brain stops working, that kind of is a bad thing. And getting older, then we're looking at things like Alzheimer's um, and dementia, early onset dementia and all those other things. And the the worry of forgetting people and places. Can't wait to forget you. Lovely. (laughs) Sorry, you set me up for it. It was right there. (laughs) We've got years, you'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, I'll forget about you first. Yeah, exactly. And so I can imagine that that would be quite worrying in yeah. terms of if if I didn't know who you were. But I'd I don't be know why if the you brain, didn't know who I was. I don't was. know what goes wrong. And then the only other bit of knowledge that I've got is cycling being really good for Parkinson's and that whole exercise, exercising your brain. You should be exercising your body and your Do you brain. Those DS you get games? Oh brain God, training. <laughs> So that's what we've got. DS games, Grace so Natalie and studies. Of, so <laughs> there, yeah. But not much connection. No. Well, funny you should say connection, right? Because oh. that's how the brain works. So your brain's got loads of different cells in it um, called neurons. So they're, they're just brain cells. And in order to function, um, they have to connect together. And it's this connection between the cells that sometimes goes wrong or um, those cells they can sometimes die in different conditions and that means the brain doesn't function um, as it should normally. The connections are really important and you mentioned kind of brain training as well and lots of brain training is focused on improving those connections so we know that generally if we practice something we get better at it right so my mum always told me Emma just keep practicing you'll you'll get there Sometimes it would and sometimes it does not. Um, so I think it depends that... what you're practicing as well, isn't it? Yeah. I could practice something really badly many, many times. <laughs> Do you mean like when I tried to learn to play the violin? <laughs> what was it? Practice makes permanent, not perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my violin it never happened either. So, yeah, we're in good company there. No, I quit because I made my own ears hurt. <laughs> Not just because the neighbours. <laughs> nope, it made me hurt. 
Yeah, but I think the really interesting thing about brain training is it depends what you're training. So I think lots of brain training kind of games or activities, you get really good at the game. But the real Mm. question in terms of brain research is, will that transfer into your ordinary life? So does doing number puzzles improve your ability to kind of add up mentally or shop as you're going around and doing your shopping? Does Mm. practicing um, word puzzles help uh, your language skills with your friends and family? And actually, there isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that brain training does um, dive over into helping in in everyday life. But there's loads Mm. of stuff out there. But there's no reason not to do them. You know, granddad, keep doing the Sudoku because it's enjoyable. Is it? Every time I see him do it, he doesn't look like he's enjoying it. (laughs) No. No, I think he enjoys it when he finally cracks it. Yeah, you've got to get that sweet spot, haven't you, between not too easy and challenging enough, but not so challenging it's super, super hard. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we've got connections and if we're not necessarily training you can to make those connections better but then what happens to then for them to break down is Mm. it just that they're not making those connections so much or do some parts just stop working yeah so it really depends on the disease and you mentioned kind of aging generally Mm. we have this thing called age-related cognitive decline which just means that as you get older It's a very kind of normal and actually healthy process for us to lose some brain cells. The problem comes when you're losing kind of too many, what we would Mm. classify as kind of clinically um, an issue. And you get things like you mentioned, dementia, um, which is an umbrella term for lots of different conditions like Alzheimer's disease, for example. Mm -hmm. So different um, neurodegenerative conditions. So I work on lots of different um, brain conditions, so things like Um, dementia but Huntington's disease as well Parkinson's Mm. you mentioned earlier as well they tend to be associated with different brain areas so uh, dementia or Alzheimer's the the classic example there and you might notice people can sometimes have problems with their memory so that's Mm. a specific part of the brain called the hippocampus Mm -hmm. it means seahorse everybody says that it doesn't look like a seahorse have a look at the hippocampus it doesn't really look like a seahorse um but still it's ingrained in history now forever and the that's um dementia but in Huntington's disease there's a part of the brain called the striatum um, and that is a specific type of brain cell called a medium spiny neuron it looks like a kind of star burst oh, it's really nice. cool so we know that those brain cells are particularly susceptible and um, so it means that they die uh, in Huntington's disease and in mm-hmm. Parkinson's disease uh, it's a part of the brain called the substantia nigra which has lots of brain cells that produce dopamine um, and oh. dopamine that's the chemical and um, that we see that gets less of it and less of it is released um, in Parkinson's disease but you mentioned there as well you know is it the fact that the cells are dying, but ultimately brain cells have to serve a purpose, right? If they're not mm. functioning, then then they can can die and degrade. Mm. And so is it because then, because you're not using them, they're not, not functioning, they die, or is it a disease, the disease that then kills them off, or is it a bit of both? Yeah, so typically it's a disease. So something like Huntington's disease has a genetic cause, so um, because of that genetic cord, we know that those brain cells are particularly susceptible. And, mm. and even, you know, you can do lots of um, things to improve 
your brain house, but unfortunately those cells will still degrade uh, over time. So there's lots of things we can do to increase our brain health more generally. Um, you mentioned you had exercise earlier as well. We know that exercise is great for the brain, great for us physically as well, right? I mean, I know I should do more exercise, but I still sat on the sofa for four hours last night after work. Um, but we know that, you know, getting out into the fresh air, even if it's just a walk, just getting out there and, and changing our kind of environment as well can be really good for our brains. So what are the what are the connections between exercise and the health of a brain then? Is it just that there is a lot of evidence? So there's a few theories, as always in science, right? Everybody's got their own theory. So there's theories around um, how exercise increases blood flow to the brain. So we know that uh, if you you go for a run, um, your breathing increases, your heart rate increases, blood is pumped around your body, including your brain, a lot more. And there's also this school of thought that if you are sedentary, so if you're sat kind of on the sofa watching telly all day, that that's not particularly good for the brain and and exercise is kind of challenging it, getting oxygen in there. And also Mm. just getting out there in terms of like environment. We know green spaces are Mm. really good um, for our, our mental health and our brain health. So you mentioned your kind of daily walk there. Whether that is actually any better than going to the gym, being inside, indoors, who knows? Maybe... Maybe it is better because there's lots of benefits to kind of getting the, the fresh air and getting out there mm, um, mm. as well. But also exercise for many of us forms part of our routine. And we mm. know that routines are really useful for brain health. And lots of us found this. I know I certainly did in lockdown. The fact that our routines were altered and, you know, we weren't having that same routine certainly impacted, you know, the way I was thinking and, and did mm. make me feel a bit sad as well. So, yeah, routine is something that the brain really likes and we like mm. as, as people and as humans as well. Mm. I love routine. <laughs> you know I love routine. I'm, I'm like, actually a little bit insane with it. I sit in the same chair every day and I'm a bit Sheldon-like in that this is my spot on the sofa. Don't move from it. <laughs> I'm going to say that's a healthy thing now, though. I've mm-hmm. learned that now. Mm-hmm. It's good for my brain. Mm-hmm. And you have your exercise routines I as well. I do. This is true. I don't want to brag, but I do do the exercise oh, thing well now. well done. That's good. It's only taken 22 years to get here, so there we are. <laughs> well done, me. <laughs> as you've mentioned some of the diseases, are we talked about, so it's Huntington's. Yeah, T-O-N. Disease, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas Huntington is the town it's a great uh, tangent sarah a lot of people get them confused though i'm glad you brought that up yeah it's the tea hunting tons with the tea hunting tons disease yes. so this is a hereditary mm-hmm. um so if you have got it in your sort of in your family line is it inevitable that you'll end up getting it yourself so if you have a parent who has a gene um, for Huntington's disease, there's a 50% chance that it might oh, be wow. passed on. Um, and if somebody does have the gene, then they will unfortunately go on to develop the condition. There's what mm. we call autosomal dominant, um, genetically speaking. So yeah, that 50% chance um, of it being passed on. So there's lots of work around um, genetic counselling because it's a condition that we can do a genetic test for. And that's right. really quite rare and unusual in terms of brain diseases. So often we talk mm. about the genetics of brain diseases. But there are very few brain diseases that have one single genetic cause like Huntington's mm. disease does. 
Um, so I've worked in, in the lab, but also in the patient clinic, working with patients and families impacted by Huntington's disease. And the kind of ethical and moral dilemmas around genetic testing were some of the most fascinating and heartbreaking conversations uh, at the mm. same time. So I'm really interested in lots of the ethical challenges, um, particularly as we learn more about genetics. Um, Huntington's disease specifically, but I think that's going to um, encroach into other conditions and brain diseases as well. Mm. Because it's not something I've ever particularly worried about, perhaps luckily, because we don't have it in our family. I've never sort of sat there at night as I'm trying to sleep and my brain's going 200 miles per hour worrying about <laughs> getting a brain disease. But how common is it to end up having a brain disease? Yeah, so in terms of Huntington's disease, that's quite a rare condition. And as you say, you'd probably more often than not be aware of it because you might have a family history um, that you, you'd know of. But brain diseases more generally, I mean, there's over... I, probably hundreds of different neurodegenerative diseases um, that people can have. Some are more common than others. So things like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease are much more common than Huntington's. Mm, um, mm. But there's also other brain conditions as well. So some traumatic brain injuries. So um, you mentioned that the classic example of uh, Phineas Gage earlier, that railway yes. worker who had that yes. um, sleeper straight through the the front of the head, um, so the frontal lobe, we would call that, just behind the forehead, um, and gives you lots of uh, personality characteristics, and uh, we call it executive function, so maths and number puzzles and things like that. <laughs> That's the bits I can't do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just behind the forehead. So um, traumatic brain injury as well, that can um, be really very devastating because people um, often get their traumatic brain injuries in an accident, or something that happened very quickly. So it might be a, a car crash, for example, as well. And they can really change people fundamentally. Um, mm. And I'm really interested in how much of our identity we get from our brain, actually, and how much of our mm. things like our personality, the way we kind of experience the world, the way that we respond to different things as well. And there's lots of examples of people who have um, survived very traumatic brain injuries and their families describing them as different people and mm. um, they may have you know changed in terms of their behaviors they may respond very differently they might get more aggressive for example in responses to certain situations um and I think it's really fascinating it's one of the reasons I got into neuroscience is we still don't know about the brain very much I mean I think we've just mm. scratched the surface really of the things that we know and our brain, you know, is so important to us. I think we feel a, a huge amount of ownership over our brains, don't we? And yeah. when they go wrong or when they change, it can be really quite scary and, and really mm. quite troubling. So I'm really interested in that and how and why we associate so much of us um, with our yeah. brains as well. Because yeah. it must be quite a hard thing to study because obviously if you're dead, your brain's pretty useless then can't really study it beyond cutting up and looking at it right but to get somebody alive and to measure brain waves and stuff it's I can't imagine that's an easy thing to study <laughs> I think so there's two things there so lots of people um decide to to give their brains to science after they die and that's an incredible kind of gift that we have so we can learn loads um from the brains even even when people have died um but you're right studying the behavior of people <laughs> It's really, really hard, um, particularly when you're kind of in the lab and you're used to dealing with cells that behave mm -hmm. pretty well and you can put them in the incubator and all is well. Um, people, you just simultaneously lifted your chin then. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. 
I love that we're that in sync. <laughs> Nature nurture, study it now. Nice, nice. <laughs> you know, human behavior is so hard to study because people can be quite um, difficult to study and quite unpredictable as well. And there's so many different factors that um, contribute to people's behavior. And factoring mm. all of those in, controlling them, often we can't. We simply can't control them all. So that introduces lots of different variability in the data mm. that we get. And if you're looking at things like brain trauma and, as you said, family members sort of saying that somebody is behaving in a way that was different before, well, you wouldn't have seen the patient before the brain trauma to then see any difference in their behaviour changes. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, lots of the the ways that we would measure um, brain function are based on questionnaires. So they can be quite Mm. subjective. And it depends on whether people really have an insight into their own behaviours as well. So, you know, working um, very generally in the Huntington's disease clinic was very common for family members to come in and report totally different things to their (laughs) relatives. You know, know, how they've been getting on. Oh, oh, you know, we've had some issues. But then the patient would say, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's been fine. It's all fine. (laughs) Yeah, you're doing the same weird voice that I use when you ask me how things are going. Oh, it's fine. And normally I say it while I'm beginning to cry and you're like, ah, gin, yeah. (laughs) And because there must also be different scales of fine. You know, for one person that fine can carry on for quite a long time. (laughs) Whereas the family members like, they haven't been fine for a very long time. That's a big thing as well, right? To admit that you're not fine to a clinician. That's a big old thing. And the difficulty with the brain is, of course, you can't see it when it's not working it's not you know it's like a mental health it's like um you know the difference between seeing a broken leg and being able to deal with that then I've got something a bit broken in my brain and I don't know what or why or how or what to do about it mm, and that's really hard that can be really hard for people to explain and um, mm. to clinicians but also to their loved ones as well and the people that that you know want to help and um, but maybe don't know how to help so we can get an idea of brain function by using things like um, magnetic resonance imaging or MRI scanning. Mm-hmm. But you're right in that it's very difficult because it's not as um, obvious as, you know, a broken leg might have mm. been. And it's reliant on the reporting um, mm. how somebody responds and, and their you know ability to, to tell people as well. And there's been lots of recently in the press, isn't there, about, you know, time to talk and it's it's good to talk to people. And it absolutely is. Um, but we need to make sure that there's the support services in place to facilitate that as well. Mm-hmm. And then when we're looking at things like, so I've got two things with brain trauma. Go. One is when people start talking in a foreign accent. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you just mean like Toy Story when Buzz becomes no, no, Spanish no. Buzz? <laughs> Well, possibly. No, so like there was, um, there are quite a lot of reports of people that have had a brain trauma and then they end up speaking in a different accent or is perceived to be a different accent. I think one of the famous ones was a woman who uh, ended up speaking German, unfortunately, during the war while she's in the UK, I think it was. So totally different language, not just a different language. Well, the perception Mm -hmm. of the accent of it um but yeah so 
that kind of thing, what goes on in the brain? And then the other one I've got is not as bonkers as the talking a different accent, um, is things like concussion and mm. all of the recent stuff that's been in rugby um, for preventing concussion and, mm. you know, the causes of brain um, sort of breakdown in, in sportsmen's sportsmanships yeah. i can't even finish the sentence have more gin <sighs> have more gin <laughs> <laughs> yeah so let's take on the language question first so mm-hmm. um your brain has a part of it called Broca's area and that's the um area responsible for language but language is a process think of language like a process because it really is a process and I'm Mm. terrible at languages I can't learn languages me too I try I try and then after a few months of trying I give up because it's really hard (laughs) yeah it just doesn't work for me but when we're um speaking to someone we are kind of probably subconsciously sometimes consciously thinking of the words maybe before they Mm. come out of our mouths uh, and processing that all of the time so in the examples um, that you mentioned of, of people speaking sometimes different languages or different accents, some people think that that's because they're, they've had their traumatic brain injury and those connections have been essentially silenced and they're rebuilding those connections. Mm. Sometimes it can be um, a physical thing in that the, the muscles around their mouth and their face have, have changed so that can mm-hmm. alter um, the way that we speak and the sounds mm. that we're able to make. Because I can't roll my R's. I can't I do can't, it. We are the same person. Let's <laughs> see, this is the thing. I can't do it and I really want to do it because I think it's so yeah. cool. I, and I can't whistle and I think that's all my muscles. <laughs> they, look I, at this. Yeah, see, we're the same. My ability to learn Welsh is really restricted by my lack oh. of R rolling. I can't oh, do it. Oh, it's so true. And that's another reason I think I love the Welsh just accent vocab everything so much is because I'm just because jealous. Because you can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. The most I can it. do is say Nadoni Clowen. Ooh. Yes. Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Gavin Thank and Stacey. No. <laughs> Pride, Sarah. I am. Pride. <laughs> anyway, side note. Yes. So, yeah, loads of really interesting um, studies around language and and people's language, but concussion as well. So concussion in sport is a big thing um, in the news at the moment. Lots of studies going on, actually, in Cardiff. Because there was James Cracknell as well. I seem to remember he had a, I don't know if it was sports related, but I know he was a rower and he had a brain injury and that apparently completely changed him. Mm. Little fun fact. Because he was then on Strictly. That's the only reason I know that one. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I think it does... um, it's based on kind of where um, in the brain is, is injured. That's important. But also the, the kind of buildup of brain injuries over time. So think of this like, you know, if you break your leg, the first time you break it, hopefully everything's put back in place. If you continue to break that leg, there's a kind of resilience that will mm. reduce. And repeated brain injury, repeated um, concussion, for example, can be problematic so Mm. you see our skull um is is helpful in protecting our brain but it can only do so much and there is still Mm. a certain amount of movement unfortunately within our skull that the brain Mm. has um and that can can lead to concussion which always weirds me out it's like floating around in there (laughs) it's weird it's like you know when babies have that gap you can see it moving Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a self-destruct <laughs> button built into their head. I don't know why anyone thinks it's normal. 
Yeah, I mean, that skull will come over eventually. But craniotomies oh. are fun as well when the, the skull is removed <laughs> to allow, often actually as a result of um, traumatic brain injuries, to, to allow the brain to swell um, mm. and then it will reduce over time. So it's not uncommon for that piece of skull to be uh, put into somebody's tummy just under the skin to keep it alive. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so grim. I've watched all 13 series of Grey's Anatomy and yet still the idea of that makes me go, oh! Some people don't have that piece of skull um, put back at all. Some people um, live with with a a piece missing. Other people have a a metal piece added back, but they do have to be quite careful because the brain is incredibly vulnerable if you don't have um, that bit of skull protecting it. I'm going to take really good care of my brain, I've decided. Good! Yeah, I think it's a really good thing to do. On that note, alcohol and its effects on the brain. <laughs> Should we be drinking as much gin as we do? Well, I, I mean, I would guess the question is why. Why are you drinking the gin? What are you getting from it? If you're enjoying it, that's okay. Obviously, in moderation is really good. Um but, you know, if you have had a few too many um, alcoholic beverages, it will impact your brain. We've seen the kind of classic examples of um, people being stopped and being asked to walk in a straight line to see maybe whether they're drunk. Um, alcohol or the excess consumption of alcohol impacts your motor ability. You might get a bit wobbly um, on your feet initially and get a bit stumbly. I don't mind about the short term. The short term doesn't bother me. If it's long term brain damage, then I should be concerned. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it all depends, right, on the kind of volumes and the regularity. Um, Ultimately, excessive um, alcohol consumption in the long term is never going to be good, right? Um, And we do know that from lots of different studies, um, particularly with people who are alcohol dependent and their brain function brain um it's made of a lot of water and alcohol is dehydrating for you so you need to replenish um that water okay that's gonna disgust me next time i've got a hangover i'm gonna be there (laughs) really aware of my brain pressing against my skull I'm still stuck back at keeping part of your skull in your tummy to keep yeah, it safe. Yeah, you know, I, haven't, I haven't moved I'm on from that. I'm processing that one still. I feel like there's going to be a, a healthy processing time after this episode to digest everything. <laughs> so much. So I'm much. no longer worried about, you know, brain disease or brain damage. What I'm worried about is having to put some of my skull in my stomach. <laughs> it's like tucking it in a little pocket, <laughs> little stomach pocket, just to keep it safe. It is perfectly safe there, yeah. You always know where it is. It's all- oh. I love it. So just thinking about the brain, as you were saying, that there is so little that we know still how much has there been a huge leap forward in our understanding with technology and MRIs and sort of studies that we're doing so I think we're getting there I think there's more than there ever has been which is really good but I think there's loads more that we can do I mean lots of people describe kind of the neuroscience and the brain as the kind of final frontier of our kind of understanding in, in science and there is loads and I think the fact that we're all so individual is one of the issues here. Our brains do function very differently and we do need to kind of accept that to a degree that, you know, we're not all the same. Mm. We need to embrace that and, and love that. Um, but we, we are progressing, certainly in terms of imaging technologies. There's some really interesting research now 
that's looking to create um, small scale scanners. So one of the issues with scanning people at the moment is that the scanners are really big and bulky. They cost loads of money um, and they can be quite claustrophobic. I don't know if anyone's had an MRI scan, but they can be quite um, claustrophobic people and people are put off. So if you could do that on a a scale where you just maybe pop something onto your head and it scanned Mm. your brain, that would be incredible, right? So yeah, they're they're very early studies into things like that. A bit like the dryer in the hairdressers. Oh, yeah. Yes. You could just come around. I'm familiar with the dryer. Yeah, I quite like that because it keeps you warm as well. So if they could also put the warming thing into mm. the scanning thing, I'd be, be sold. Like a spa then that treatment. Work. That'd be nice. Yeah. And at the end, you get a little picture of your brain and it's like, there you go, that's yeah. your brain. That'd be nice. Um, and what are the coolest things that you've found out about recently? Oh, that is a question. So I'm really interested at the moment in the ethical side of things in terms of brains um, and genetics. So there's lots of different uh, tests that you can do. And I am doing loads of work on how they're regulated. So Mm. data geek regulation Um, (laughs) and how we can get people to understand more about their genetics and the information that they might be signing up to. Um, And just fully understanding that. So there's lots of really interesting stuff around it consent and really Mm. understanding what you're signing up to before you sign up to it as well if you know that there is something then that's that's going to affect you Mm, the not knowing I think ignorance is bliss some (laughs) of the times because otherwise you're going to behave differently you're going to do it which can be a good thing if it's you know that you Behave differently to prevent something in the a in the scientist did the joy of studying my weird <laughs> brain. Do you know that's what, what you then, want. I think the thing is, lots of people when they talk about um, genetic testing is one of the reasons why they might not want to do that is is there anything I can do about it, even if I know yeah, this information? Yeah. And very often, in terms of brain diseases, there isn't. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, lots of people want that information because they feel that they can make more informed decisions uh, about their their lifestyle or maybe um, their decisions to have family. Um, But as hopefully we get closer to potential treatments for conditions, Mm -hmm. if there is actually something you could maybe do about it, that might change um, the game quite considerably. Mm. Mm. And are we getting closer to potential treatments? Yeah, I think so. So um, over in the States, there has been a new drug um, for Alzheimer's disease recently Mm -hmm. approved. And that's the first drug that's really looking at the molecular causes of Alzheimer's disease. So lots of different proteins build up in the brain that are toxic for those brain cells that we talked about earlier. And until now, uh, drugs for Alzheimer's have been really just to kind of look at treating the symptoms for as long as possible, not ultimately changing that underlying Mm. cause. But that drug is looking to change that. So, yeah, I think we're we're getting there. I think given things like dementia are going to be such a huge um, crisis for our healthcare systems financially as well as emotionally, um, we could be doing it a lot quicker. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And we do have this idea at the moment of our population is bigger and older in yeah. a lot of ways. You know, we're having a lot more old people, which on the one hand is a great thing because, yay, we're all living longer. Excellent news. On the other hand... Old people lose brain cells. We've learned that today. Therefore, some of them may need help with the fact they've lost brain cells and there isn't necessarily the support there for them at the moment. 
Yeah, totally. I think it's about providing quality of life as well. So, mm. you know, living longer is, is, is great, but it needs to be kind of quality of life as well, I think. And supporting people, particularly in the community as well, um, and that integration with health and social care. So we hear this a lot, but actually mm. the reality of whether anything's changing um, is probably a bit of a different story because it's hard, you know, it's a hard mm. challenge. Um, and we're definitely not there yet in terms of integrating the two. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about menopause, pregnancy and the effect mm-hmm. on brain? <laughs> we can. And I would say that all of those areas of research are under research topics. And that's I sad. wonder why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't. But unfortunately, they are. Um, and we saw this as well in terms of women's health and the effects uh, on periods of the vaccines as well. You know, Mm. clinical trials for a long, long time just outright didn't include women, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which, you know, is still really shocking to to hear about. But I think we're getting there. I think classic kind of hormonal changes, which, you know, is a bit of a kind of token card, isn't it? But actually Mm -hmm. understanding what those are and what happens to them. during pregnancy but also menopause as well those are both you know incredibly um challenging uh, research areas to look into uh, there's mm. been a lot more you know certainly where i work around um menopause cafes and just understanding much more about that the kind of brain fog that many mm. people experience mm. in menopause and yeah. how yeah. <laughs> i wasn't gonna oh, say yeah. anything <laughs> i'm keeping very quiet here <laughs> And I think there's there's probably, well, there certainly is loads more that we can do there. Um, and I, times are changing. I like to be positive. I like to think um, that they are changing. But ultimately, it comes back to the fact that in studying anything to do with the brain, we are reliant on people's reporting of it. And mm. that's so tricky mm. because, you know, I can ask somebody, you know, how they felt or how they're feeling. And... I can tell them, please be as honest as, as you can. Mm. But there is still sometimes that social pressure, actually, to maybe feel something in a particular way or to just mm. fundamentally not be honest um, with how someone's feeling. The British culture yeah. of going, you're right, yeah, I'm good. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. good, yeah. yeah. And that's, even if you're not, you move on. And the other, uh, just thinking about the the research into the brain and the activities and things, one, one of my favourite bits of research was on mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. And the way they found out about it was because they hadn't taken, they hadn't turned off the equipment that were monitoring the neurons firing in a monkey brain, um, and then a, a, what they ha- what they were measuring was the neurons firing when the monkey would pick up a peanut, and they hadn't turned it off. And then one of the um, assistants came up to clear away the peanuts and the same neurons fired in the monkey's brains. And then they went, oh, that's really interesting. Let's do some more research on that. And they found all these mirror neurons that when you're watching activities or you're seeing, like like if you're seeing somebody crying, you might cry with them because you feel the emotions because of all the mirror neurons. A latest Spider-Man film comes to mind. Yep, carry on. So, but I, I love the fact that that came from a mistake. <laughs> the you know, best things in like, science come from mistakes, It's a mistakes, bit of a research Sarah. and it went a bit Absolutely. wrong. Absolutely. It way. happens so much. I think that one of the biggest issues in science is people think that it, ha- it goes well all the time. It doesn't. 100% doesn't. And mirror neurons are really interesting. So um, the 2014 Nobel Prize was awarded for 
um, work on mirror neurons in physiology or medicine. And May Britt Moser is such an incredible uh, female scientist. If you've got time, check out her dress that she wore to the Nobel Prize, I don't know, awarding glorious ceremony um, because it actually featured some mirror neurons sewn onto the dress. How cool. Nice. Really cool. Very cool. I'm so jealous. (laughs) And how different are our brains? Because, you know, if we see the image of a brain, it's a pickled walnut. It's not a pickled walnut, but okay, Sarah. How different are they? Or is it just in the way that they function that's different between us? Yeah, so you see that kind of typical image, don't you? I know what you mean. Um, but our brains are quite different. So they, they just, between individuals, they're way different amounts. And you see those classic images with different bits of the brain in different colours. You know, mm-hmm. this region controls this, this region controls that. And and whether you're left brain or right brain. And... Neuromyth, neuromyth. Um, <laughs> alert, alert. <laughs> but I think, actually, you know, that, that can be helpful in terms of learning about the brain. but you know, the reality is my neurosurgeon friends, when they're operating, you know, they're not looking for different colours of brain. <laughs> and it can be... Really Damn it, my whole life's been... <laughs> we can't find the blue bit. Where's the blue bit? <laughs> this brain is broken. <laughs> I know, right? But And also compensation. So the brain has this incredible ability to compensate. So particularly in some neurodegenerative diseases, if a particular part's going wrong other parts that wouldn't necessarily normally have that function can compensate. So for a long, long time, you don't see that coming out in the behaviours of the person. So for example, Huntington's disease, people are born with the gene for Huntington's disease, but they often have 40 years of you know, life without any symptoms at all. Mm. So within that first 40 years, something's going on. The compensatory mechanisms there are you know, really there. Clever. Yeah. Clever, clever brain. He's really good. <laughs> That's the main takeaway from today. Clever, clever, clever brain. Clever, clever brain. <laughs> Even when things go wrong, clever, clever brain. Yeah. 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 And imagine if we worked out scientifically how that worked. I mean, we could literally kind of restore brain function if we understood how that worked properly. Oh, do you get shivers? <laughs> And is it true that if I bash my head, I lose a few brain cells? Yeah, I'm afraid so. See, you were laughing at me as if that was a silly thing to say because my mum always told me that. Don't hit your head. Don't do that because you'll lose brain cells. And you're like, (laughs) Just thinking about the amount of times I was dropped as a child and maybe it did actually have an effect. (laughs) I think it depends on how hard you hit your head as well. Um, So, you know, it's not recommended. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, a lot of brain cells in the average human brain is about 86 billion. Wow. See, we That's joke a that, lot of brain we cells. joke that me and my siblings share five and on a good day, they're evenly divided-ish, but most of the time I have three of them. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's not good to lose any, but missing a few, you'll be all right. You'll be okay. 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 But that is a lot of brain cells to study Mm. to research yeah and that's why i think most neuroscientists have a kind of region that they specialize in um or a condition that they specialize in so yeah that's that's quite a task right studying all of them (laughs) 
Yeah, you can't do all of them. It's like the ocean. Too much for one yeah. person. Too big. Um, what about some brain myths? Should we bust some? Mm, yeah. You we talk left left it. brain, right brain. That's mm. been around forever. No. I know, and it's kind of caught on in popular culture as well, I think. Um, it's just not true. <laughs> yeah, I mean good. There's no there's no more I can say about that. It's, it has really stuck though. It seems to have Probably stuck in our culture. Um, yeah. 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 I think the reality is, you know, people say, you know, more creative, more this, more that. Your personality is driven by, you know, elements of your brain, but your genetics, your environment, all of these things um, mm. coming together, your exposure to different things when you're growing up. Um, so, yeah, no. Okay. Busted. So that's busted. Any other brain myths that we should be busting? Yes. The female-male brain. Oh! Okay, so we've got diversity of brains as a whole, but not female-male as a separate. Yeah, we shouldn't be. No, no, no. Mm No, I mean, we're all individuals. And, you know, the the classic example is the female brain is slightly lighter than the male brain. Um, It's because they're more delicate creatures. So delicate. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, you know, I I don't think it's helpful. I think it's incredibly unhelpful, actually, this distinction Mm. of male and female brains. Um, Gina Rippon wrote a a brilliant book, um, The Gendered Brain, um, which explores this in a lot of detail. Um, And I think, you know, is is this just a relic from, you know, society and the fact that we're, you know, splitting male and females up like this perhaps um but it's really unhelpful and we should stop doing it excellent good good yeah we're happy for that to stop (laughs) yeah i've got no complaints on that one yeah yeah Yeah. any others i think we all probably at least recognize how important our brains are a bit but you know working with patients who've had um sometimes genetic things but also sometimes trauma um Often they say, you know, I just didn't appreciate how important mm. my brain was until it mm. changed. Mm. Um, and the fact that we do need to look after our brains, we do. And whether that's, you know, eating, you know, correctly or drinking more water or getting out and having exercise, we should be looking after our brains in the same way that we look after our bodies or tr- should mm. try. Um, so, yeah, I think the fact that we still have an awful lot to learn uh, about the brain, we, we really do. And, you know, I'm always fascinated one day, you know, will we ever be able to do a brain transplant in the same way that we would do a heart transplant or another organ transplant? And I don't know. It's a question I think about a lot, strangely. And if you took your brain and put it into a different body, would you still be the same person? Oh, I'm going to have a breakdown today. Jesus Christ. <laughs> brain breakdown for you. Oh, I'm having a brain breakdown. It's happened. And oh, no. thinking, about, <laughs> thinking about looking after our brains... There's another one where we're always told about brain food, certain foods that are good for our brains. Mm. Is that also a myth? Like oily foods are good for our brains? Well, our brain does have a fair amount of kind of fat in it, um, but it's it's good fat, right? So they're kind of omega-3 fish oils, that type of nutrition is, is good for our brain and water as well. But generally just a healthy diet. I mean, we all know, you know, that's good for our brain health, but all of our health, really. Um, and, you know, it factors into all of our, you know, our energy levels and our well-being more generally, our health and well-being more generally as well. Take care of your brain. Mm-hmm. It's a takeaway from today. And, and watching sh- you. 
Because you're closer to well, Bray Bray down the Yeah, maybe. But going back to our question, though, should we be worried about brain breakdown? What can we be doing to calm ourselves? Sort of help ourselves in terms of that um, Yeah, brain I mean, health. I think one of the questions we should always ask ourselves is, is there anything we can do about it? And very often there isn't. You know, I think if we're responsible, we take good care of ourselves. And, you know, we try our best to maintain a healthy lifestyle, for example, and, um, you know, that's the, the best thing to do. And also just to enjoy life as well. I mean, we could sit around and worry about that all day, every day, but that wouldn't be a particularly fulfilling um, quality of, of life for us. So I think, you know, particularly in the pandemic is where I feel like everybody's mental health well-being has taken a bit of a, a hit. Mm. Um, I think it's very much about, you know, looking to change the things we are in control of, but not overly worrying about the things that we don't have any control of as well. Which is life lesson, I think, for everything. I feel a bit soothed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm still mad. thinking a little bit about the skull in the stomach, oh, but yeah. I'm a bit more soothed. Yeah. <laughs> Got that little pocket. Stop touching your waiting. Stop it. Oh. Brilliant. Well, thank you for taking us <laughs> round the brain. <laughs> thank oh, you for scarring me for life. Yeah. Oh, no. You said you were soothed. <laughs> I'm soothed, but I'm also scarred. Okay. I mean, is that a compliment? Probably not. <laughs> it's a standard day in this house. <laughs> but mainly soothed. Mainly soothed. Until I tap my stomach. <laughs> it's actually just Sarah's tapping that's making me scarred. Yep, excellent. Oh, that's going to go on for weeks. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Anytime. When we eventually do a brain transplant, you'll have to come back. <laughs> Will it be my lifetime? Who knows? Fingers crossed. How's your brain? My brain's fine. How's your brain? My brain's feeling pretty good. Yeah. I'm not going to stress about brain damage or um, disease because if I get it, very little I can do anyway. (laughs) True. But before then, I'm going to keep my little brain quite healthy. Yeah. Do you know what I think? I exercise. I actually do now, so I can yep. say that. Well done, me. Yep. Tick. Exercise. I eat fairly healthy. Tick. I do drink a lot when I'm at home, but not so much when I'm at uni because mm-hmm. I'm broke. Mm-hmm. And I, I read don't a lot. get to the point where I have a hangover. No, we don't get to that point. We're and very I good at knowing our limits. We drink a lot of water. We do drink a lot of water. And I read a lot, which I'm sure has to be good for your brain too. But yeah, I'm walking, going outside, yeah. routines, but changes to routines. Oh, fuck off. I use my brain. Every now and again. Changes to routine. As in, you have routines, but you don't just do get up from your bed, sit on your sofa, go back to your bed. You know, that every day might be like you have leg day, you have arm day. Oh, you actually pay attention when I I talk. I do. Oh, Sarah. Sweet, isn't it? Um, (laughs) And so the other thing, I hadn't quite realised how many brain cells brain cells and i hadn't realized that when you say don't bash your head you'll lose brain cells that's actually true and the the areas of the brain actually it's all about all of those cells talking to each other and and doing that whole brain communicatory thing do you think i should stop hitting my siblings on the back of the head i think that's probably a good idea oh and i'm thinking the brain is like an ocean (laughs) what 
Sorry, ogres have layers over here. What the (laughs) fuck are you on about now? Because there's so much the ocean that we don't know that's undiscovered, exactly the same about the brain, and there is a ton to it. You know, you but that doesn't make it like the ocean. Your brain's not salty and full of creatures. You could just say sound like sea creatures, don't they? And one of them's a seahorse. See, ocean. Yeah, the campus. Yeah, in my ocean brain, swimming, and it swims. Oh, and if you want to look at it, all you need to do is chop a bit of skull off, tap it in. Stop! 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 stop. (laughs) Or you could just have an MRI, you fucking cruel beast. But we need to get better at all of that. We need to make MRIs better to be able to see brains easier, to make it less claustrophobic, to make it just easier to do the research. We need to just get more people in. From all sorts of diversity. We need to drink more Brecken gin because it's lovely. I love the Brecken gin. Mm. It's very citrusy. It is. Very lovely. Well, everyone, go take care of your brains. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed that little episode. You got to the end, so hopefully you did. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Well done. If you'd like more content from us, you can follow us on Instagram. You can. And you'll also find our chief gin taster, the gin monkey, with tasting notes of all the gins that we're tasting in the series. Go on to Instagram, so it's worth following. Yeah, yeah. Topic gin. Topic gin. Same on Twitter. Same on Twitter. Send us a little tweet. Yeah, we're on Facebook too. Topic gin, keeping it all nice and simple. And you can email us. You can, if you want, at hello at ginandtopic.com. If you click subscribe as well, that would be really handy. Reviews, tell people. for you to do. And we'll be back next week. With another episode. I know. And another guest. And another gin. Yay. And don't forget to join me and Emma in our tasting room on Sunday and she can tell us all about the gin.